So this morning we're dealing with a soul. Look at somebody next to you and tell them you're a spirit made in the image and likeness of God. Say, I am a spirit made in the image and likeness of God. Say, I have a soul, mind, will, emotions, imagination, memory. Amen? You have consciousness. That's part of your soul. And then you have a body, a physical body, that houses your soul and your spirit. And your physical body is an earth suit because it gives you the ability to encounter the natural realm. Is this true? If your spirit did not have a body, you would not be able to touch things, smell things, see things, feel things, taste things. Amen? And so you need your physical body. The minute your physical body dies, you leave the planet. You no longer have access to this planet. And so your physical body is very important, right? How many of you think, how many of you think that you would only have thought you would only have one car for the rest of your life? The first car you bought, did you think that would be your only car and that you would drive that car for the rest of your life? Anybody in here? No, that was just your starter car, right? Well, you only have one body. You don't get another one. And so you have to take care of the one you've got. Amen? It's important how you treat your body, what you put into your body. Amen? This body houses your spirit and your soul. If this body tears down and breaks down, what happens is you no longer have the ability to have life and have it more abundantly. And so our bodies are the temples of the Lord, and we need to take care of them. Amen? Uh, one amen. Like one little, the, the fitness people over here are like, amen. And everybody else is like, is this guy rebuking me right now or what? Could somebody tell me, I'll be all right. You're going to be okay. And so, I want you to go to the book of Mark, chapter 7. Jesus teaching about inner purity. Verse 1. One day, some Pharisees and teachers of the religious law arrived from Jer Jer Jew, Jew, Jerusalem to see Jesus. And they noticed that some of his disciples failed to follow the Jewish ritual of hand washing before eating. Now, it is good to wash your hands before you eat, wouldn't you say? But this was like a law. This was like a ritual. This was like a tradition thing, you know. The Jews, especially the Pharisees, do not eat until they have poured water over their cupped hands as required by the ancient traditions. Similarly, they don't eat anything from the market, unless they immerse their hands in water. This is but one of the many traditions they have clung to, such as their ceremonial washing of cups, pitchers, and kettles. So the Pharisees and teachers of the religious law asked him, Jesus, why don't your disciples follow the age-old traditions and they eat without first performing the hand-washing ceremony? And so Jesus rebukes these guys. He says, you guys are hypocrites. Isaiah was right about you when he prophesied about you, for he wrote, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship is a farce, for they teach man-made ideas as commands from God. So 
When people start taking things like hand washing, what you can eat, what you can't eat, what you can do, and they make these things that are laws from God that are not in Scripture, they are creating traditions that are burdens upon the people, and they don't produce any life. And so Jesus was not happy about this. And he says, you ignore God's law, and you substitute your own traditions. And then he goes on and he rebukes them for not honoring their mother and father. And if you go down to verse 14, then Jesus called the crowd to him and said, All of you should listen. Oh my gosh, mouth come in order. All of you listen, he said, and try to understand. It is not what goes into your body that defiles you. You are defiled by what comes from your hearts. Then Jesus went into a house to get away from the crowd, and his disciples asked him what he meant by the parable he just used. He said, don't you understand either? Can't you see that food you put into your body cannot defile you? Food doesn't go into your heart, but passes through the stomach and goes into the sewer. And by saying this, he declared that every kind of food is acceptable in God's eyes. Every kind of food is acceptable. So you want to eat crickets? Go ahead, whatever. I'm just going to keep going. I'm not going to stop here. I'm just going to be silent. Then he added, it is what comes from inside that defiles you. From within, out of a person's heart, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, Murder, adultery, greed, wickedness, deceit, lustful desires, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. And all these vile things come from within, and they are what defile you. And so here, these Pharisees were saying that if you don't wash your hands, then you're unclean before God. And Jesus is saying it's not about what's on the outside, it's about what's on the inside. It's what comes out of your heart. What are the thoughts? What are the motives? What are the intentions of the heart? And Jesus began to teach his disciples. And he'd say it's not the outside that God looks at, it's the inside. He says if you are angry with somebody, then you're a murderer. If you think of a woman lustfully, then you've committed adultery. Because he's going to the heart. And he's saying if you, if you are believing it in the heart, in God's eyes, it's already a done thing. Because the minute the decision is made, it'll cause you to talk about it and it'll lead you to that sin. That's where sin is birthed. That's where it is conceived in the hearts of people. And so we have to guard our hearts with all diligence. And we have to shut down these things that defile us. Look at somebody and say they defile you. The word defile in the dictionary is to sully, to mar, or to spoil. That's what the word defile means, to sully, to mar, or to spoil. When something is sullied, it brings damage to the purity and the integrity of that thing. When something is marred, it is disfigured, distorted, scarred, hurt, or mangled. When something is spoilt... It destroys the value of something. And what the enemy wants to do is 
through these thoughts that come from the sinful nature, if these things are in your heart and you meditate on them and they're part of who you are that you think about and they run around your mind, they're things you talk about and they're things that you do eventually. These things defile you. And defilement tears down your self-worth. Defilement tears down your self-image. And defilement tears down your self-confidence. That's what it does. And you feel this conviction, not conviction, condemnation on you, where you feel like you deserve punishment and you deserve to be judged. That you don't deserve the blessing from God. And what it does is it puts fear on you because you don't want to come into the presence of God because you have these things in your heart and you feel dirty. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And so we become cowards and we run from God because in our consciences we know that we've disobeyed God. And disobedience is rebellion against God. And when we rebel against God, it brings separation between us and God. Look at somebody and tell them, sin separates you from the Lord. Look at somebody else, tell them, sin is a divider. It's a separator. And that's what happened with Adam and Eve in the garden. When man ate of the fruit which God had commanded him not to eat, he felt nakedness and he felt shame and he was afraid. So he hid from God. And then he made fig leaves to cover himself. And what happens is, when we as Christians, when our hearts get taken captive because we've, we've meditated on some things, we've allowed this to fester and grow in us, and then we have committed the sins, we now get in this place of being trapped, and we are stuck in this place of misery, this place of condemnation, and we begin to sink deeper and deeper into darkness. And family, we're going to break those things off your heart today so that you are once again free. Your conscience does not condemn you. And if your conscience is clean, you can boldly come into the presence of God. Can I get an amen? And so it's very important. Just like you've got to get in the shower every day to wash the outside of your body, you have to take a look at the inside and make sure that you stay clean. Because if you don't cleanse the inside on the reg, what happens is stuff begins to build up. And it might not be heavy stuff. It might not be serious things, but it's the little things. Uh, when you eat food, it deteriorates, and then you get this stuff that builds up on your teeth. It's tiny little things that cause cavities. And it's the same thing with the heart. Every day, certain things happen, and it builds up a little bit. It builds up a little bit. It builds up, and before you know it, your heart is clogged. And the heart is the epicenter. It is the center of man. If your physical heart gets blocked, you die. If your spiritual heart gets blocked, the life of God cannot flow through it anymore. Amen? So it's important to keep the heart clean. It's important to keep the heart pure. And there's some people that think that I have to get clean before I come to God. That's like saying I have to get clean before I get into the shower. No, the purpose of the shower is to get you clean, right? And so this, this type of cleanliness, you can't use soap to clean it. There's no soap. There's no, um, what is that, bleach stuff? Bleach. That can cleanse the heart. The only thing that can cleanse the heart is the Word of God, the washing through the water of the Word. Are you with me? 
Another thing that can cleanse the heart is the fire of the Holy Ghost. And the third thing that can cleanse the heart is the blood of Jesus Christ. Those are the three things that will cleanse the inner man. That is why the priests are important. That is why the house of God is important because it's our responsibility to cleanse the people so that they can come into worship face-to-face encounter with God. And the problem is there's a lot of the men of God that are living in sin, and because they live in sin and compromise, they allow the congregation to compromise. And then when people stand up and preach these messages, they say, oh, you're judgmental. No, the Word of God is the judge. And the Word of God judges the innermost intentions and thoughts of the heart. We are God's people, and we need to stay on track, and we need the fire of God before us as the fear of God, knowing that we have to stand before God on a daily basis. The minute that we sin against God, we're separated from God, and God is not there to help us because you have no confidence. And so we've got to break these things off the heart. In 2020, in summer, I was doing this series on love. And the Bible says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And so I began to ask the Lord, Lord, if I'm supposed to love you with all my heart, what is my heart? I know the physical cardiac blood pump, but what is the heart of man? And I'm like, it's the mind, it's the will, it's the emotions, it's the spirit, it's the intellect, it's consciousness. I get all of that, but God, tell me what my heart is. If I'm supposed to love you with all my heart, what is that? Help me understand what the heart is, God. And you know, if you'll cry out to God, God will give you revelation and God will clarify things for you. And for weeks, I just kept saying, Lord, what is my heart? I need to understand what the heart is. Holy Ghost, show me what the heart is. And so I went up to Pastor Caleb's church. And by the way, he'll be ministering here in a couple of weeks while we're away. But Pastor Caleb, I went up to the church. Prophet Charlie Shamp was up there. And we were doing, doing, he was doing some meetings. And I was in the meetings. And on the third day of the meetings, after one of the worship songs, the presence of God filled the place. And we were just standing in the presence. And I went into a vision. And in the vision... I saw a heart, and it was like a love Valentine heart, but I knew it represented the heart of man. This was the question that I had been asking the Lord, what is the heart? And I saw the heart, but it was wrapped in newspaper. And as I looked at the heart, my eyes scanned from the bottom of the heart, and it went up. It was just a heart, big heart in front of me. It had newspaper articles on it, and every, every article had pictures and writing, and I couldn't figure out what everything was about. But as I saw the top of the heart, I saw headlines, and it said bad news. And then I looked to my right, and I saw a light shine out of heaven. And this light, it was a wide beam, but as it got closer to the heart, it became a laser beam. And it hit the center of the heart, and it caught the newspaper on fire. And in a flash, that newspaper was burned off the heart, and the heart was set free. And the Lord spoke to me and said, he said, the heart of man is the seat of your spirit from where you rule and reign in life. And I saw a throne in heaven, and I knew just as God sits in heaven and makes decisions and makes judgments and makes decrees, your spirit sits on the heart, the place where you make decisions, where you make judgments, where you make decrees. And if your heart is taken captive by bad news or the heart has been taken captive by the enemy, you can no longer make decisions in line with righteousness. You make decisions in line with fear. And when you make decisions 
in line with fear, you begin to use your body for things that are not founded in love and faith. And so the Lord wants to set the heart free. God wants to set you free so that your heart can make decisions in line with His Word. The enemy is not going to use your seat to control your life or use your body to do things that are against the will of God. Look at somebody and tell them you're a temple, you are a vessel, and God is cleansing you and separating you unto Him for holy things and good works. Let's go to the book of Exodus. I want to read this again. I did read it last night. In Exodus chapter 20, verse 1 or 2. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. For well, he is the one that has delivered us from sin. Amen. And you shall have no other God before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above, on the earth beneath, or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sins of their parents to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me. But showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. Your children are blessed and your grandchildren will be blessed and your great-grandchildren will be blessed because you love the Lord your God and you serve him. And then it says, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord, your God. So we're not taking the name of Jesus in vain. We're not Jesus Christing nothing. Amen. Unless we're praying in the name of Jesus. And if you want to take somebody's name in vain, take Buddha's name in vain, take Muhammad's name in vain, go Hare Krishna, but leave Jesus alone. And you can teach other people to, to, to leave, you know, give some credit to those other guys too. It says, for the Lord your God, do not take his name in vain, for the Lord will, will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Then it says, remember the Sabbath by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath day unto the Lord. You need to set aside one day a week for you and your household to worship God. You've got six days to work. I love that Chick-fil-A is closed on Sundays. Right? Sometimes we pull into Chick-fil-A on Sunday and we're like, oh, they're not open. But you know what? They let the employees go worship God. And they make good money. Six days a week. More money than some of those that are open 24-7, seven days a week. Amen. Why? Because they honor God. Verse 12. Honor your father and mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. 13, you shall not murder. 14, you shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. It means you're not going to lie about other people. Get them in trouble on purpose. And you shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, male or female servants, his or her donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. These are commands from the Lord. When you walk in love, you fulfill these things. Jesus did not come to take away his commandments. Now you're in this period of grace where you can sin and disobey God and do whatever you want. And then you come to the altar and say, oh, God, forgive me. 
It's not how this works. Grace is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of grace that gives you the power to live a pure life. That gives you the power to live a holy life, to live above sin. Not to use it as an escape go to sin and then get grace from God. Are you with me? And so if you struggle with something or if you've struggled with something for many years that you just can't overcome, I want you to know that Jesus is still on the throne. He's at the right hand of the Father with all authority and power above principalities, spiritual wickedness, demons, the demonic realm. He holds the keys to death and the grave. He will give you the power, the spirit of grace to break you free from things that are bound you to sin and death. You no longer live under the law of sin and death, but you come under the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus, and you live a supernatural life, and temptation is no longer there to pull you down. Are you with me? That's the power of God. Look at someone and tell them you're breaking free. You see what happens is the minute your heart gets taken captive, you, are, you start believing lies. You have whispering things that whisper lies into your ear. Yeah. You start believing lies. You start making up things that are not true. Then you feel like you're isolated and alone. Like nobody loves you. Nobody cares. Nobody sees me. You get into this little pity party. You're going deeper into this pit. Now that you're in this pit, depression starts coming on you. After depression gets on you a little bit, you start thinking, well, my life is worthless. Why am I alive? Nobody loves me. Nobody cares for me. And then the spirit of death and suicide come along and says, you should end your life. And there's people that sit in this pit just wishing they were dead. They're held captive by the devil. And they have these suicidal thoughts, and they have depression, and they have heaviness upon them. And it's not the glory of God. The glory of God is heavy. It's a weight that comes upon you, but it empowers you. This weight comes from the enemy to crush you. It's like a python that wraps around you, and it slowly squeezes the life and the breath out of you. And you're breaking out of that. Can I get an amen? Jealousy. Jealousy is bad. Jealousy is a murdering spirit. Jealousy will destroy things if they can't get what they want. That spirit is a murdering spirit. It is the most dangerous thing out there. The spirit of jealousy will cause you to do things, to destroy things, to get your way and to get your one. And if I can't have it, then nobody will have it. Along with it comes judgment and anger and hatred and malice and revenge. It's all tied up in the spirit of jealousy. Turns into hatred. Spirit of fear. Fear is horrible. Fear makes you insecure. You have no confidence. When you're in fear, you can't speak. You can't think. You're paralyzed. You're unsure of yourself. You're constantly in limbo. And what happens is you get to this place of procrastination where you just, you, you just you can't do it. You can't move forward. You can't take a step. You're stuck. You're going to get broken out of fear. Some of you have been hurt really deeply. 
in, in different places by circumstances, relationships, and you're afraid to get hurt again. But we're going to clean out the hurt that's currently in there so that you can be free and you can move forward. Can I get an amen? And family, these are things that we need to deal with in the heart. What I discovered through the last 20-something years of doing this, what I've discovered is that the minute that you judge your mother and father, you're going to repeat the same sins they did, just on a greater scale. When you have judgment in your heart towards your parents, if you curse the roots that you come from, then you will be cursed. If the roots are cursed, then the tree is cursed. And so you cannot curse your parents. You cannot judge your parents. Because the very thing that you judge will come upon you. And it's, it's instant. And so the Lord rebuked me. Well, the Lord, the Lord fixed me. He didn't rebuke me. He helped me. And the Lord, the Lord spoke to me one day and he said, you've judged your parents. I was in prayer talking to the Lord. And I'm, I'm praying, I'm, Lord, I need to break through this. I got to, and the Lord said to me, you've judged your parents. And I said, Lord, I haven't judged my parents. When did, I said, when did I, ju when did I judge them, Jesus? <laughs> when did I say I judge you? When, when did I, tell me the day, Jesus. You know, you argue with the Lord like he, he doesn't know what he's talking about. It's like a kid having a conversation with their parents thinking they can outsmart their parents, right? When did I do it? When? Tell me. <laughs> what was the day, the time, the hour? When did I judge him? And then the Lord said to me, <laughs> the Lord said to me, because you said you never want to be like them, you've judged them. That fixes you quickly. And then you're like, <laughs> yes, Lord, I did. I said that. <laughs> Oh, Lord have mercy. But these are good moments with God. They fix you forever, man. So, so what I had to do was I had to forgive my parents. But forgiving my parents was a process, man. And so when you've done the forgiving, you come to the altar, Lord, I forgive my dad because of this, this, the way he treated my mother. He was never there. I forgive my mother because of what she did and the other man and the da 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 and she didn't cover me, she didn't protect. You go through all of it, but then you have to go stand in front of your mother and father to see if your heart is really clean. When you get on the phone and talk to them, can you actually talk to them in love or do you still have that judgment rolling around on the inside of you and getting irritated and aggravated on the inside of you? You see, because anytime you say you're forgiving something, you're going to have to go face that giant and overcome that thing face to face to check if your heart is really clean. And so I was living in America. I'd run away from Africa. <laughs> no, the Lord brought me here. But I was happy to leave home, right? I couldn't wait till I graduated high school to leave home because in our house, it was constant contention, fighting, stress, the atmosphere was stressful in the house because my mom and dad just, their hearts were hardened against one another. And so we lived in a home, mom in one room, dad in another room, 
fighting all the time, tension. I'm talking about contention. That's living in contention on a daily basis. Me having a temporary argument with my wife to figure something out, that's not contention. I'm talking about living in this thing that you practice every single day. And so my mom and dad, you know, they had a business. They shut their business down after 40 years, whatever, and we invited them to come and live with us in America. We got them green cards, and we went through the whole process legally again to get them here into the country. And when they came to live in my house, I said, well, they're going to live under my rules, and we're going to fix this relationship. Well, that didn't go as planned. That did not work. We didn't come back to the house. Misty and I would leave early in the morning, and we'd come back late at night when they were going to bed. We didn't even feel comfortable in our own home. But in that season, I had to face my judgment against my parents. And I had to, they, God was using that to, to expose in me things that I needed to bring to the cross. And when I dealt with the stuff that I needed to deal with, they went back to Africa. They decided they didn't want to live here anymore. So, can you love your parents? Can you honor your mother and father? Can you bless them? Will you listen to them? Will you, will you be a son and a daughter and love them? And be thankful to God they didn't abort you, that they raised you, that they did the best that they could do. The reason that you're alive and on this planet is because of them. The sacrifices that they made for you to have life. They did the best they could. It might not have been perfect, but you don't understand the circumstances they grew up in. And every parent wants better for their children, and we do the best that we can. But we don't always get it right. And just because they made some mistakes, we have to get our hearts clean, and we have to take judgment away from them, because if we don't, it'll be repeated in our lives, in our family, in our children. It'll be generational. And you have to break it. So about in 2014, 2015, the Lord spoke to me and he told me that my dad was getting ready to pass. He didn't have much longer. The Lord prepared me that my dad was passing. And the Lord spoke to me and said, um, you guys are going to have a vacation together as a family. In 2016, it all came together. I flew to London, um, met my brother over there. We flew to South Africa together, and we had this big family vacation with my dad. And from that point until he passed in 2019, our relationship changed. I was able to talk to him on the phone, and he was still the same person he was, saying the same things he said. But it no longer stirred my heart to be angry with him. I no longer wanted to change him. I no longer judged him. I just accepted him for who he was, and I loved him. And that's where the fight ended. The fight ended because I didn't have pride and contention in my heart and judgment in my heart towards my dad anymore. And so by the end, you know, my dad and I could talk about Jesus. At the end, my dad and I, whoo, because you love your dad, you love your mom. But there's this stuff that gets in the way. And there's this stuff you can't break through, and it's invisible, and you don't know how to fix it. But it's in the heart. 
And when God breaks that stuff out of your heart, and you no longer have that fight in you, it's just love, His love in you for that person, where you can see that person through His eyes. Your whole perspective changes. And now you can pray for them, and now you can bless them. You see, that's the good stuff. That's what makes life better. And so we need to deal with this judgment that we have towards our parents. We have to deal with it, family, because it's the foundation for everything. And you got to get it out of your heart. It's not about them getting it right. You are the one sitting here hearing this message. You have to deal with your heart. You have to cleanse your heart. You need to understand that you need to honor your mother and father, and you need to work on bringing that stuff to the cross and leaving it there. And letting Jesus heal you from the things that were said and the things they didn't do and the regrets you have and the things you wish they did. And you've got to stop living in the past, blaming them for your life now. Because if you're stuck in judgment, you will remain in the state you're in. But if you release judgment, you will be released. The book of Matthew says, forgive us as we forgive those who trespass us trespass against us. Verse 14, if you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your heavenly Father will not forgive your sins. And family, just like Jesus is the foundation, right? There's a foundation and that he's this foundation in our lives. The enemy has foundations. And judgment, forgiveness is the foundation in Christ. Judgment is a foundation in the enemy's kingdom to keep you bound in the curse. And if you break the foundation, everything else falls apart. It cannot stand. And so when you choose to put God as your God, and then you choose to walk in forgiveness, you break every foundation of the curse that's, that can possibly operate in your life. And then you all come under the blessing of God. So that was one thing that I learned. I learned that when I judged my parents and went left home, I th got thrust into a lifestyle of rebellion and sin that almost killed me at age 23. And so the Lord delivered me from that, and the Lord taught me that lesson. And then, <laughs> lesson number two, you cannot judge your natural parents. You cannot judge spiritual parents. You cannot judge spiritual authority. Because if you judge spiritual authority, it thrusts you into a lifestyle of religion where you have these practices that don't produce life, but you've got this mask on the judgment against God's people. So when I came over from South Africa, I came over with my pastor. Um, he brought me here. He provided a place for us. Did I work 24-7? Absolutely. Did I have a life of my own? No. I surrendered my life to serve that ministry. And everything was good. Everything was great. I mean, that's where I met my wife at that church. But then... I discovered some things about my pastor that I didn't agree with any longer. And I got offended with him. And so I knew in my heart, I said to the Lord, I said, Lord, uh, I don't respect this man anymore. I can no longer sit under his ministry. I got to leave. 
But I didn't tell the Lord I'm, I'm leaving. I had to get permission from God first if I could leave because that's where God put me. You see, many people get ticked at their pastors or their spiritual leaders. They pack their bags and they leave. But if God took you there, then you stay there and God, till God tells you to leave there because there's stuff in your heart that he wants to work out. Because if I was standing today in this place with judgment against spiritual leaders, I wouldn't have the ministry I have today. Actually, I wouldn't even be standing in this place. My life would be wrecked today because I'd be stuck in religion and I'd have no relationship with God. And so this is another lesson that I learned. I learned that you cannot judge those who are in spiritual authority over you. God will deal with them. But you have to keep your heart clean. And so I had this conversation with the Lord. I said, Lord, I got to leave. I can't stay anymore. I don't trust this guy. What he's done, I can't forgive him. And so it, my, it's part of the problem was I put him on a pedestal. That was the problem. Because I had my own issues with my own dad. I was looking for a father figure in my life. And this was a man of God, and I loved his family, and I loved how their family operated, and, I, and he loved me, and he was like a father to me. And then I was disappointed by some things that I discovered about his life, so I judged him because of my own issues. And so I had the conversation with the Lord, and I said, Lord, i got to leave. And the Lord spoke to me. I said, Lord, i got no reason to stay. And the Lord said to me, I'm asking you to stay. And so the family left, but I stayed. When your family leaves, your mother and father-in-law and the rest of the family leaves, and you're still there, and then you're going home and you're hearing about how they hate him. But the Lord told you to stay. Do you obey the voice of the Lord, or do you do what your family tells you to do because it's comfortable and you want to fit in and be accepted? Will you stand and obey God even if it costs you and you're persecuted and you have to deal with stuff? Or are you just going to do what feels good to your flesh? And so I stayed. And then in 2001, Misty, myself, and James and Brenda, my mother, we went to South Africa because I came over here, got married. <laughs> my family had never met my wife. And so <laughs> we were going to visit them <laughs> and introduce them. And so we went to South Africa, and we had a great time in South Africa. We came back from South Africa, uh, went to the answering machine. Anybody remember those things? Hit the button, and it was my pastor's wife on the phone. She said, Nicholas, welcome back. Hope you had a great trip. We're so looking forward to seeing you tomorrow at church. And the minute the recorder went click, I heard the voice of God again, and he said, now you can leave. The problem was I still had judgment in my heart against him. So I walked into his office the next day on the Monday, and I sat in front of him, and I told him why I was leaving. I didn't just pitch a fit and walk out. I sat down and had a conversation with the man. I explained to him what had happened and why I was offended and why I couldn't get over it and why I disrespected him and why I was leaving. And I thought this was my big break. I thought this was my moment. The Lord is going to launch. I'm come to America, and God is going to launch me into the ministry now for the thing that I have in my heart. And yeah. But it cannot be built on judgment. It cannot be built on that foundation. 
And so I had just got married to Misty like a year or two prior. I was living in James and Brenda's home. Misty's dad is a very hardworking man. He wakes up at 6 in the morning. He works all day. He believes in work. And if you're not working, then there's problems. So I married his daughter. I'm living in his house, and now I can't find a job. And I'm feeling terrible. I'm feeling the pressure on me every single day. And I'm trying to find jobs. I, I w worked at Ballantrae Golf and whatever, doing weddings and whatever, but that was like weekend stuff. I tried to find restaurant work because I was in the club industry. I, man, I could serve food and all that, fine, no problem. I tried to find stuff, but I wasn't, I, I was struggling. I couldn't break through into anything. I'm here in America. God's called me to do ministry. And here I am on the outside of what I believe God has for me to do. I'm struggling. I don't have finances. I can't find a job. Eventually, I, it was September now. <laughs> I'm delivering phone books in Vero for 25 cents a phone book. Yeah, you go to the warehouses. You, you got to shove your phone books in there. I put my rollerblades on, park the truck, stack the things, and I'd be lobbing phone books in people's yards. You're supposed to put them at the front door. No. <laughs> I was rollerblading when 9-11 happened. I know exactly where I was the day 9-11 happened. And then after that, I got a job at the church that we were going to, cleaning the preschool cleaning 10 bathrooms with 120 preschoolers between 10 and 2 a.m. in the morning, wiping crap off the walls and pee off the floors. Look at somebody and tell them, when you get into pride, God is going to humble you. And my wife says those were gross bathrooms. That's why we keep ours clean. And so, family, what I realized was in that season was I had judgment against the man and woman of God that God used to bring me to this country to enter into my destiny and calling. But because things didn't go my way, I judged them. And that judgment against my life put me outside of the plans and the purposes that God had for me. And when I repented and turned from that, the Lord broke us through into this ministry. But I carried that for several years. And I had no clue. And we went under another ministry where we were put under so much pressure to perform every single day. It was about buildings, bodies, and bucks. And the core of that church was more brutal than any business meeting I'd ever sat at. Because it wasn't about the people. It was a man building his own kingdom. And when you have judgment in your heart against men and women of God that God has called... It blocks you outside of God's promises and God's covenant and God's things for your life. And when I met Elsabee, she dealt with my heart. The Lord said he was going to restore our family. And that was some of the very first things the Lord had to deal with in our hearts. And I remember I was standing in worship. The Lord had already broken me through that. I was standing in worship one day, and I was trying to get into the presence of God, and I felt like I just couldn't get in, like I was being blocked. So I said to the Lord, Lord, why can I not enter into your presence? And then another man of God's face popped up before me. And he said, because you have judgment in your heart against this man. And what had happened was, uh, part of my responsibility at that church 
where I was when I came over, part of my responsibility was that I had to, when my pastor went back to South Africa, because he had two churches, when he would go back to South Africa, I would have to host the guest pastors. And so he had another guest pastor come in, man of God. He was preaching and teaching that day. I was so touched by the message that, you know, afterwards I really thanked him and said, wow, that was so powerful. So he gave me one of everything on the book table. He packed it all up and he handed it to me. And I was thankful. I was so thankful. And then I prayed. I said, I want to pray. Can I pray for you? He's like, sure. And I said, Lord, I ask that you bless this man a thousand times. And he stopped me while I was praying. And he said to me, that prayer is unscriptural. He rebuked me. And I got offended. Because I was just so thankful and just wanted to pray God's best blessing on him. He told me that was unscriptural and embarrassed me in front of people at the church. And I I got mad at him and I, I judged him. And so here I am years later standing in worship, can't get into the presence of God. And I say, God, why can I not get into your presence? And his face pops up before me and says, because you've judged that man. And so if we have judgment in our heart against spiritual leaders, no matter what they've done, it'll block us from entering into the presence of God. And family, we have to clean these two things up today. Because if we don't clean these two things up today, you'll stay under the generational curse and you'll stay blocked out of God's plans and purposes for your life. And what you have to realize is there's a cross that you have to die on. And you have to bring your stuff to the cross and nail it there and lay down your life if you want the life that God has for you. And you cannot carry judgment, bitterness, anger against anybody, not even yourself. And that's the third thing that I want to deal with this morning. And that is that when we've repeatedly made mistakes and we've said, God, I promise I'll never do it again, and then we do it again, we get to this point where we lose hope because we cannot overcome the things that we're struggling with. And then what we do is we have judgment against ourselves And we lock ourselves into a pit where we don't believe that we should be blessed because we're a complete and utter failure. And family, when we choose to remove judgment from our parents, when we choose to remove judgment from our leaders, and when we choose to remove judgment from ourselves, then we can step into the blessing of God. And Jesus wants to clean us up. Can I get an amen? So what you have here is a card. And I want you to check your heart. You see, many times we try to deal with the fruit. We try to stop dealing with these other things. But you have to go to the roots. And these are the roots. These are the foundations. This is what causes the fruits in your life. And if we don't clean these things up, you can never break free. Listen to me. I speak from years of experience and the grace of God delivering me from these things. These are foundational things. These are the roots. And if we can recognize where we need to make adjustments, then the spirit of grace will work with us and the love of God will begin to fill us so that we can overcome these things. But it starts with a decision that we're laying down our right to judge. So what I want you to think about is, number one, your mother, your father, yes. Spiritual leaders, yes. If you're holding judgment against yourself, yes. But then do you have an ex-wife or an ex-husband or an ex-boyfriend or an ex-girlfriend or an ex-boss? 
Do you hate the President of the United States of America? Who are you judging? Who are you blaming for your circumstances and your situations? Who are you blaming? Because no form of judgment ever brings life to you, no matter who it's against. And we need to forgive people. Brothers, sisters, what about people who owe you money? What about people who've destroyed your stuff? What about people who've lied to you, betrayed you, stabbed you in the back? Friends that you thought were friends. What judgment are you carrying against people? The Bible clearly says in the book of Matthew that if you are unwilling to forgive others, God cannot forgive you. And if you walk in unforgiveness, you will constantly stay outside of the presence of God. It's a block. It's a barrier that you cannot cross. And family, we want to bring you into face-to-face encounter. We want to bring you into a place where you have, you dwell there. You live here. It's not something you visit or get to touch every now and then when Siobhan sings. Or a concert we go to. We're supposed to abide in the Word and the Word abides in us. We're supposed to be in union with Christ where we live in this place called the promised land, right relationship with God. But we have to clean the heart. So I want you to write on your card all the people that you need to forgive. And then you can even do a little note there, a picture or whatever you want. What are you forgiving them for? Lord, I forgive everybody. Hallelujah. No, what did they do that hurt you? What did they do that, that caused you to judge them where you felt pain, embarrassment, anger? What did they do against your will? Why? Why do I judge them? Why when I walk down the grocery aisle, I can't look them in the eyes? I got to duck and run. Why do I not want to talk to them, my mother, my father? What is the root? What is the reason? What did they do? You have to find the thing that they've done. And you have to be intentional and specific about releasing that thing. Because it's rooted in the heart and through confession, it comes out. So while you're writing that down, what is the cross? The Bible says, curse is is anyone who's hung on a tree. And Jesus became the curse. He took the curse. And what what happened to him? He was whipped. His back was whipped. 39 lashes. That whipping on his back caused his back to bleed. And that beating was for your healing. Jesus took a crown of thorns in his head. He he pierced his eyes, his ears, his head. That crown of thorns caused him to bleed from those areas so that he could take the piercing thoughts from your head, the things that you can't get out of your mind, so that he could forgive you for the things that you would open your eyes to that you should not, the things that you'd open your ears to that you should not have. He bled for you to be forgiven for those things. He took nails in his hands. 
And the nails in his hands represent the things that you've done with your hands that you should not have done. He took nails in his feet. Because there's places you've gone that you should never have gone. He took a piercing in his side so that you could be birthed into the kingdom of God as a child and to experience the full blessing of what God has for you. And I want you to know that the blood of Jesus is pure, spotless blood of the Lamb that has the power to cleanse you from all sin, to forgive you. It's the grace and mercy of God. In the book of Hebrews, chapter 9, verse 13, it says, under the old system, the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer could cleanse people's bodies from ceremonial impurity. Just think how much more the blood of Christ will purify our consciences from sinful deeds so that we can worship the living God. Verse 22 says, in fact, according to the law of Moses, Nearly everything was purified with blood, for without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. See, family, we don't have to die physically on a cross, but God wants us to die to these things that are in our hearts. He wants us to be a living sacrifice. He wants us to bring those things that are in our heart to Him so that He can forgive us, so that He can cleanse us, so that He can wash us. Verse 26 says, in 1026, Dear friends, if we deliberately continue sinning after we've received the knowledge of the truth, there is no longer any sacrifice that will cover these sins. There's only the terrible expectation of God's judgment and raging fire that will consume His enemies. For anyone who refuses to obey the law of Moses was put to death without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Just think how much worse the punishment will be for those who have trampled on the Son of God and treated the blood of the covenant, which has made us holy as if it were common and unholy, and have insulted and disdained the Holy Spirit or the Spirit of grace who brings God's mercy to us. So I want you to know that there is power at the cross for you to live a victorious life over sin. Pastor George Banoff, I believe that's how you say his name, he said this. He said, if you're waiting to die to be free from sin, then death is your Savior, not Jesus Christ. And I want you to know there's power at the cross to set you free from all of this stuff that, that you carry in your soul, where you're taken captive in the heart. But we have to release things today. We have to cleanse things today. When God told Moses to bring Israel to the mountain, he said, purify yourselves before they encountered God. Before Joshua went into the promised land, God said, purify yourselves. And I want you to know, if we're going to come into the presence of God, we have to purify ourselves. We have to look at us just like you can see dirt on the outside of your body. As I'm talking today, you are seeing dirt on the inside things that are defiling you that you need to be cleansed of. And this is not to shame you or anything. This is to get you clean. 
so that you can be free to worship God with nothing in the way. Do you know how, how, how blessed we are? In the Old Covenant, every year they would come back to the priests and have to kill an animal. And they were reminded of their sins year after year after year. They carried the burden of their sins. But we as a New Testament church, God cleanses the conscience and He forgets it and we forget it. Isn't it great that the mercy of God and the grace of God causes you to forget these things where they no longer live in you? They have died and you're cleansed. And the only thing you know on the inside is life and life more abundantly. Amen. You opened up my eyes to so much more. I saw the scene shattering.